Hello everyone and welcome back to the History of Middle-Earth podcast where we dive deep into the history of Middle-Earth. My name is Phil and I will be your guide for today's adventure back to Middle-Earth. Today's episode is brought to you by Stefan Pohl. To start us off, we're going to be going over this week in Middle-Earth history. Today is Friday, August 20th, and in 3019, this is when King Theoden, Aragorn, and the rest of their companions set out from Helm's Deep to Isengard. Tomorrow, the 21st, is when Bomber awakes in the morning and Thorn and company leave the path of Mirkwood when they see the elves fire. The 22nd is when Bilbo fights off the spiders, and the 23rd is when the dwarves surrender when they become surrounded by elves and Bilbo uses the ring and disappears. That same day, the 23rd, in 3019, is when the company parts from King Elisar. August 25th in 3018 is when Frodo makes his announcement to move to Buckland. Last day we'll do the 28th is when Bilbo searches for the dwarves' cells in Mirkwood. And in 3019 is when Saruman is overtaken and he leaves towards the Shire. Our topic for this episode is Legolas. Legolas was a Cinda elf and the prince of the realm of Mirkwood. His grandfather, Orifer, was of the Sindar of Doriath, who I do have a written post on on our website, and his father, Thranduil, was king of Mirkwood, or Greenwood the Great. Legolas's exact date of birth is not known, nor are his earliest exploits, but his most important rec- recorded role is that which he played in the War of the Ring. His elven giftings, such as superior sight and hearing, lightness of foot, and skilled archery, were valuable assets to his eight companions. Legolas was counted unusual for his strong friendship with a dwarf, Gimli. Such a friendship was rare between the two races on account of the long-standing grievances between the dwarves and the elves dating back to the Elder Days. Also, friendship between these two was unlikely because of the grudge between their two particular houses for the rough treatment given Gloin and the rest of Thorin Oakenshield's company by Thranduil on an earlier occasion. During the War of the Ring, the creature Gollum was was captured by Aragorn and put under lock and key by the elves of Mirkwood. Through their over-kindliness to him, however, Gollum managed to managed an escape with the help of Sauron's orcs. Legolas was dispatched to Rivendell to bring this ill news to Elrond and Gandalf. Legolas was present at the Council of Elrond and related the news of Gollum's escape, being quick to add that it was not through lack of vigilance that slipped, that he slipped their grasp, and gave a detailed account of the whole affair over to the Council. He spoke little after his report, if at all, but was later chosen as a representative of the elves in the Fellowship of the Ring to perform the Quest of the Ring. His capabilities would prove invaluable to the company. For the early part of the quest, the nine companions walked single file, 
Gandalf leading, Legolas with his keen eyes, providing the rear guard. When the company came to Holland, which was coming up on the Misty Mountains towards the Mines of Moria, Legolas was deeply moved. The wholesome air yet spoke of the elves that dwelt there long ago, and his sharp ears heard the very stones crying out for grief at their departure and memory of their ways. As they ascended Caradhras, Legolas in his light shoes could walk on top of the snow, whereas could walk on top of the snow, whereas the others were forced to trudge and wade their way forward. But snow or no snow, nothing could dampen his buoyant elven spirit. When he joked lightly with Gandalf even at the darkest moments, he scouted ahead and behind the company, dancing over the snow with great ease, and brought news that the storm was, as they had been fearing, put out to stop them by some power greater than they. When this report arrived, Gandalf reluctantly decided to abandon the idea of crossing by the Redhorn Gate. Legolas stayed close by the hobbits on the dangerous descent. At the bottom of the mountain, the company took a vote as to whether or not to attempt passing through Moria. Legolas was silent until asked his opinion, and then he said simply and reluctantly, I do not wish to go to Moria. His loyalty and respectful deference to the decision of the two leaders, Aragorn and Gandalf, extended even to following them through the darkness and unknown horror anyway. And of all of the company, he was arguably the most loyal to leadership. When the voices of the wargs were heard and the attack began, Legolas did perhaps more than anyone, save Gandalf, by shooting numerous wargs, and then later collecting his spent arrows to fire again. The Fellowship reached the west gate of Moria, and were halted by the doors sealed shut. At last, gaining entrance, the company, following Gandalf's staff, began their march through Moria, a pit so profoundly dark that even Legolas's eyes could see nothing. He served his turn like the others in lookout duty during the night on the march. When they came to the chamber of Mazarbol and were brought to battle by the orcs, Legolas dispatched at least two before following the others out the east door, having to drag Gimli away from Balin's tomb. When Durin's bane made its frightful appearance, Legolas was the first to recognize it as a balrog, and it was the only recorded time he was ever truly afraid. A Balrog held far more terror for an elf than any other, for only they remembered where the demons of fire had come from, and whom they had first served. After the fall of Gandalf, Aragorn led the Fellowship eastwards to the doors of the forest of Lorien. Legolas was seized with a deep excitement, for none of his kindred had been into the wood for many years and he himself had only heard of it from tales. He was grieved, though, that it was winter, and the full glory of Meliorn was departed. The Fellowship crossed the Nimrodel River, feeling their weakness drained away by its cold waters. As they rested on the shore, Legolas told the tales of Lothlorien, still remembered by the Mirkwood elves, and sang to them a part of the Song of Nimrodel. At last, the company turned aside from the path in order to shelter in the trees for the night, not caring to be caught on the ground by the orcs pursuing them from Moria. 
Upon being surprised and questioned by the elves of Lorien, who were watching from a tree, Legolas responded cautiously in their own tongue. When Samwise queried as to what they were saying, Legolas slyly responded, They say that you breathed so loud they could have shot you in the dark. He quickly added that they need not fear the elves. Legolas was called up to meet with the Galadrim, bringing Frodo through, though Sam followed, as always. The Galadrim had heard Legolas's singing and knew him for one of their northern kindred. They had tidings from the sons of Elrond as to the quest upon which the company was embarked, and readily accepted all of the fellowship save Gimli, who was only grudgingly allowed, for the suspicion of the elves of Florian towards the dwarves was especially severe. Legolas was forced to answer for the company, with the reminder to keep an eye on that dwarf, quote-unquote. The next morning, when the elves took the company across the river Celebrant on their way to Caraskaladon, they told Gimli he would, have to ha he would have to be blindfolded, that he was outraged and refused. When Aragorn offered for all of the company to wear blindfolds, Gimli said only if Legolas wore one, he would too. Legolas was outraged in turn, but Aragorn settled the dispute by asking to blindfold the whole company, and in the end, Legolas had no choice but to agree. During their time in Lorien, however, with the influence of Lady Galadriel permeating the air, he became fast friends with Gimli, a friendship that would never be broken. He was one of the company that could handle boats, and with the frail fellowship prepared to leave Lorien, he was assigned to paddle one with Gimli. From the Lady Galadriel, he received an elven cloak and brooch, and a bow and quiver such as the Galadrim used. When the company was ambushed by orc archers on the Anduin, Legolas quickly leaped out onto dry ground and up the riverbank with his bow, searching in the darkness for any sign of the orcs. From Frodo from Frodo's low position in the boats, he appeared to be crowned with the white stars as he stood tall upon the bank. Suddenly, the south wind chased the clouds away, and the chilling dread fell on the company. Legolas looked up and sighed, Elbereth Gathoniel, as if to draw strength to face the terror riding high in the wind. As the shadow approached, he bent the great bow of Lorien and shot the descending fell beast from the sky one of his most masterful deeds. He was praised by the rest of the company for this, especially Gimli. When the company was ambushed on Amon Hen, Legolas shot many orcs until his arrows ran out, and then used his knife. Upon the breaking of the Fellowship, when he learned that Boromir had fallen, he sang a lament with Aragorn, taking the part of the south wind, which came from the sea, Legolas was great aid to Aragorn in the days following, as he helped to track the Urukai across Rohan. His eyes could see many leagues, and for a while could see their quarry far ahead of them. When accosted by the riders of Rohan, led by Aomer, Legolas stood by his friend Gimli when confronted by the hot-headed Marchwarden, threatening him with death if he attempted to harm the dwarf. What business? Does an elf, a man, and a dwarf have in the Ritter Mark? Speak quickly. Give me your name, Horsemaster, and I shall give you mine. 
I would cut off your head, dwarf, if it stood but a little higher from the ground. You would die before your stroke fell. When Aomer lent them horses to speed them on their way, Legolas was given Arad, a very high-spirited horse. But Legolas had the elvish way with beasts, and after he had leapt lightly upon Arad, the horse was docile beneath him. Beneath him. Legolas let Gimli ride behind him on the way to Fangorn Forest in their search for Merry and Pippin. When they arrived by the smoking pile of orc ashes, they combed the battlefield for any sign of the hobbits for several hours. They gave up as night approached. Camping up under the leaves of the forest, Legolas noticed how the trees, the tree beneath which they sat, seemed glad of the fire they lit, stretching out its limbs and leaves to the heat. Though the night was very dark, he was also the first to notice the absent of the absence of the horses. Later, he asserted to Aragorn that the beasts sounded joyful, confirming Aragorn's own guess. Upon entering Fingorn, Legolas declared that he almost felt young again beside those trees. He commented that in earlier days he could have been happy there. Gimli snorted, saying, I dare say you could. You are a wood elf anyway, though elves of any kind are strange folk. Legolas would later reverse this declaration at the Hornburg. When the three hunters met with the apparition of an old man, whom they believed to be Saruman, despite Gimli's encouragement, Legolas did not shoot him, feeling moral objections to this. The old man declared, Put away your bow, Master Elf. Legolas dropped his bow, but later picked it up again, and was about to shoot when it was seen that beneath the old man's robes, there was white. Yet he recognized that it was Gandalf just in time, and shot his arrow high into the air, to be consumed by fire. Gandalf coolly added, Well met, I say to you again, Legolas. Legolas was the first to ask about Merry and Pippin, and Gandalf's apparently miraculous escape. After the story, Gandalf delivered Galadriel's message to each of them, Legolas's being, Legolas Greenleaf, long under tree, in joy thou hast lived, beware of the sea. If thou hearest the cry of the gull on the shore, thy heart shall then rest in the forest no more. Later, Legolas again used his eyes for the help of the company, as he spied both Isengard and Edoras from afar. At the gate of Medeseld, Legolas was the only one to lay down his weapons without hesitation. He played only a passive role in the healing of the Aiden King, and later was arrayed in shining mail beside Aragorn. Gimli would not ride on Aomer's horse unless Legolas rode beside them, which he did gladly. Aomer declared, Legolas upon my left and Aragorn upon my right, and none will dare to stand before us. As Legolas stood at the Hornburg at the eve of battle, he said that he did not like this place. Gimli comforted him, and he was glad that the dwarf stood by his side. He also wished that a hundred archers of Mirkwood were there, noting the small number of bowmen among the Rohirrim. At the opening of the battle, Legolas shot twenty at least, this figure being taken as precise by Gimli. 
When Gimli returned the ale for the second time to declare that he was he slew 21, Legolas counted his kills as 24. By the time the fire of Orthanc blew out a piece of the wall, his quiver was nearly empty. With the last arrow, the elf saved Aragorn's life when he stumbled while pursued. At the end of the battle, Legolas had shot a total of 41, though Gimli surpassed his count by one. Final count, 42. 42? Oh, that's not bad for a pointy-eared elvish princeling. <laughs> I myself am sitting pretty on 43. 43. He was already dead. He was twitching. He was twitching? Cause he's got my axe embedded in his nervous system! Legolas showed great interest in the horns on the way to Isengard, discussing them with Gandalf and a less willing Gimli. Legolas promised Gimli that he would go to Aglarond after the war upon hearing the dwarf's eloquence, if only Gimli would accompany him on a return to Fingorn. At Isengard, he enjoyed a meal in the company of Gimli, Aragorn, and the hobbits, Merry and Pippin. When Aragorn made clear his purpose as to take the paths of the dead, Legolas and Gimli willingly volunteered to go with him. Legolas predicted, when Gimli suggested that Galadriel might have sent them soldiers from their own lands, that they need not ride away to find war. Amidst the past of the dead, riding with the Grey Company, Legolas alone, save for Elodon and Elrohir, Elrond's sons, felt no fear of the Oathbreakers, and it may be remembered that the High Elves had power both in worlds of the seen and unseen. Yet his turn came to be struck to the heart in the opposite sense, when he heard the gulls at Pelargir, fulfilling Galadriel's prediction and warning. While telling a story later, he stopped there, while Gimli promptly said, For my part, I heed them not. Legolas saw as Aragorn led the dead men what a mighty lord he might have been if he had taken the One Ring. Legolas came with Aragorn from the ships during the Battle of Pelennor Fields and fought there beside his comrades. He survived the battle and several times afterward commented the longevity and eventual domination of men to the dubious Gimli. Legolas rode for the last time into battle beside his friends at the Battle of the Moranon. He witnessed the fall of the Dark Tower, and after the battle attended the ceremonies of the Field of Cormalan, in honor of Frodo and Samwise and their victory. That night, Legolas would not go to bed, but instead went away to walk in the woods, singing of the sea. At the urging of Aragorn, Legolas remained in Midnas Tirith for a time, after attending the coronation of Elisar. During the parting of the Fellowship, Legolas went with Gimli to Aglaron. After that, he rode off with Gimli to return to Fangorn Forest. Around the fourth age 20, Legolas brought south elves out of the Greenwood, and they dwelt in Athelion, which became once again the fairest country in all the Westlands. They stayed in Athelion for a hundred years. Legolas and the Wood Elves later worked together 
Gimli and the dwarves to rebuild and improve Minas Tirith. After King Elisar died, Legolas sailed west, reportedly taking Gimli with him, and with them numerous other elves. Legolas showed a cheerfulness throughout the journey, passing through Caradhras and even the Pass of the Dead without hesitation or complaint. His youthful nature can be seen from the mocking way he treated the strong men on Caradhras, whom Boromir, excluding Legolas, had said could forge a way out of the, out through the snow. He is perhaps most remembered for his friendship with Gimli the Dwarf, and it, it was during this friendship that we see his faithfulness and also, also his love of beauty. Gimli's words moved him when the dwarf spoke of the glittering caves. Christopher Tolkien recounts that his father wrote the following wrathful comment protesting against a pretty or ladylike depiction of Legolas, saying, quote, He was tall as a young tree, lithe, immensely strong, and able swiftly to draw a great warbow and shoot down a Nazgul, endowed with the tremendous vitality of elvish bodies, so hard and resistant to hurt that he went only in light shoes over rock or through snow, the most tireless of all the fellowship. J.R.R. Tolkien Legolas's grandfather, Orifer, fought in the Battle of the Last Alliance with a small band of Mirkwood Elves. There he was struck down along with Gilgalad. Legolas sailed west to the, un west to the Undying Lands in the Fourth Age, 120. The name Legolas is a sylvan dialect form of the pure Sindarin Legolas, which means Greenleaf. At one point, he is called Legolas Greenleaf by Gandalf, coupling his name and translation. Legolas consists of the Sindarin words, Sindarin words leg, a very rare archaic word for green, which is normally replaced by a kalend, and Golas, a collection of leaves or foliage being a prefix collective form of las or leaf. Legolas's first bow of Mirkwood was a dark wood, likely yew, that was made in his youth. It was carved from a single piece of wood in the style of the Numenorean longbow, just smaller. It was engraved in gold with a delicate pattern of ivy that twined along both limbs. The bow would be classed as a short bow due to it being only 60 inches when strung and a smaller size helping aid in maneuverability in the dense forest and trees of Mirkwood. The bow only had an effective range of about 250 yards, however it was incredibly powerful within that distance. The Mirkwood arrows were 30 inches long and sturdy enough to withstand the poundage of the bow. They were stained in a dark brown to match the bow as well. They had long hunting, hunting heads with very narrow tips, like that of a bodkin arrowhead, which were used for piercing metal armor. The green flights or fletches most likely came from pheasant or other birds in the surrounding area, and the knocks were hand carved. 
The quiver they were housed in was made from wood and dyed in a coated was made from wood and dyed and coated in a deep resin to give it a deep lustrous lustrous sheen. It was then further enhanced with thick golden scrollwork around the mouth of the quiver. The bow given to Legolas and Lorien was of master craftsmanship. It was formed from a single piece of Malorn heartwood. It was skillfully carved into a pier to be covered in vines and leaves, all in a slightly paler wood than the stave. The bow stood 68 inches tall when strung and had great accuracy out to 400 yards. It is said that the string was blessed with the strand of hair from Lady Galadriel herself. The draw weight of the bow was 150 pounds, which was the average weight of a longbow in the Middle Ages, being 150 to 200 pound pull, and Legolas had a type of holster for it that attached to his quiver that let him wear the bow over his back when not in use. The arrows were 40 inches in length and slightly thinner than the Merkwood arrows to, to help keep the weight of the full quiver to a minimum. The green gold fletches were made from turkey feathers that had been trimmed into a diamond-like shape and the arrow shafts dyed in a dark sage green. The long steel tips were shaped after a malorn leaf which left a very large wound channel. The knocks, the knocks were reinforced with either bone or flint found in the silver load. The quiver was also made from wood with a leather wrapping with a design of a peacock on it which was a very rare bird in Middle-earth. The design was inlaid in gold and the mouth had been fitted with a locket of gold. The quiver held about 24 arrows and was attached to this to a suspension system that was tightly strapped around Legolas's chest to prevent movement when traveling or fighting. Having the arrows in the exact same position all the time helped with a quicker draw. Attached to his quiver with a rawhide suspension system were two leather scabbards, each containing a long knife. These were known as white knives mostly because of the pearl scabbards. The handle, the handle was about 8 inches long and they were just shy of 2 feet in length. They were inlaid with iconic elven vines and curved in the same way as Elrond's sword. The knives had a bronze guard and pommel fitted diagonally on the blade. The 16-inch blade was made from the finest grade steel, heavily etched and engraved with brass and complex patterns of vines and scrollwork. A tapered tip allowed for a faster slashing stroke and short stabbing motions. During the ride, on, ride out on Helm's Deep, Legolas would have to wield a sword in order to reach the passing Urukai while on horseback. The only armor Legolas wore was leather bracers, although during the Battle of Pounds Deep, he wore leather pauldrons, or mail, in the book, made from eight lames of boiled leather strapped to his arms and across the chest. The lames were riveted together, but still allowed for sufficient maneuverability. The fourth, sixth, and eighth lame was engraved with a Rohan motif. His standard garb was made from an embroidered pale blue silk shirt soft gray-green woolen hose, tall suede boots shaped like overla overlapping leaves decorated with the plant motif and a double-layered suede jerkin. 
The underlayer was a khaki green and the thicker outer layer was brown, both cut into petal shapes. The tunic was cut just below the waist and, and to the elbows and split up the sides as to not restrict any movement. Over this, he wore a green cloak of Lorien, which was pinned to the tunic with a silver leaf brooch. And there you have it, the history of Legolas. If you want more content, head over to our website, ministeryeartharchives.com. Check out our Facebook page and Facebook group, History of Middle Earth Podcast on Facebook. Follow us on Instagram, at History of Middle Earth Pod. And check out our Discord page. And there's a link in the description for that. That's it for this week's episode. Hopefully you, hopefully you liked it. Feel free to subscribe and leave us a review. Let us know how we did. If you have any questions feel free to message any of our pages through the contact us tab on the website or send an email to ministeritharchives at gmail.com thank you so much for listening and hope to see you next time i'm your host phil and you're listening to the history of middle earth podcast